What a wonderful time of worship, isn't, isn't the Lord good? Um, I'd love to start off by praying. So would you be able to stand? If you're able to stand, we're just going to um, come before God together and ask him to bless the time that we have. Um, oh, Heavenly Father, Father of lights, creator of the world, creator of each man and woman, creator of every plant, every hill, every sea, we come before you this morning and we just, we just declare we love you, Lord. We love you so much. Lord, won't you send your spirit just now? And please, will you quicken our hearts to hear your word? Help us to have um, hearts that are open and responsive to you. And Holy Spirit, we just give you this next time and just say, this is, this is your time, Lord. We come to your word eagerly and expectantly. As I was preparing, I really felt God giving me this phrase, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And I feel this morning that the Spirit is going to be speaking to people and saying things which you've probably heard before, but actually your heart's a little bit hard. So when God says this thing, you're like, oh, well, I know that. But actually, God's saying, no, open your heart. Let me get in. I want to get right in deep today, and I want to do something deep within you, in your soul. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So, Spirit, we come before you, a people who love you, and we say, open our hearts, help us to respond to your word as we ought, and we love you. Amen. Great. Take a seat. So, um, today we are continuing our series on the heroes of Hebrews 11. So, we've been going through, and you've kind of seen people you would pretty much expect to see. So, if you sat down, read the Old Testament, and said, okay, who were the main people? Then you come up with Noah, pretty cool guy, heard from God, built an ark, saved humanity. Cool. Um, Then you've got Abraham, left his country, obeyed God, started a whole new nation through whom the blessing of God would come to, every, um, to all over the world. Yeah, pretty decent. You've got Isaac, you've got Jacob, you've got Moses who led the Israelites through this, um, the Red Sea and um, into the Promised Land. Yeah, cool people. But, but God is the God of the unexpected. His heroes aren't the people you'd expect they're not those who look the best in the eyes worlds. They're not those who are best on TV. They're not those who are best in literature. They're not, no, not those who've made history necessarily. But actually, God often chooses people who are messed up, who've made a big mistake in their life, who've got themselves into a situation where they can't get out of. God loves choosing these people. These are people that the world wouldn't think of as being good, but God does something remarkable. He takes people who are bad. He takes people who've done bad things, who are in a bad situation, who are lost, who are stuck, and he changes them. When he gets into your heart, you're totally transformed. Once you know the love of God, you're not the same. And God takes these people and he makes them into brand new people. People who were far from God who've done really terrible things, actually, God has transformed and opened their heart. So even they can appear in this hall of fame alongside alongside these stalwarts of the faith. So let's read together Hebrews chapter 11, and we're looking at verse 31 and 32 as well. Um, Great, man, you should come up behind me. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, 
because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. So let's just, let's just pause for a second here. So Hebrews is a book of 12 chapters, and they're meaty chapters. If you sit down and read the whole thing, you're like, whew, that was, a, that was not an easy read. And at the end of it, he said, I've written you this short letter to encourage you. And you're like, that is not a short letter. So this is a guy who's obviously happy chatting. And he says, you know what? I don't have time to tell you about these people. Come on, mate. You're writing a letter. You've got all the time you want. But actually, he's decided. He said, well, I'm going to choose who are the key people I want to encourage. I'm going to give them more, more airtime in this chapter. Look who he doesn't put in. David. He doesn't include David. Isn't this crazy? This man who is after God's heart, he's like, yeah, he was all right, wasn't he? Gideon and Barak, they led Israel. They won these great battles. Yeah, cool, great, good man. Samuel anointed Israel's kings. All the prophets, all the prophets. He's like, yeah, those guys were fine. But Rahab, let me tell you about her. What a remarkable woman this, this lady is. I'm so excited. I've really enjoyed preparing this preach, and I really hope that uh, we get so much out of reading her story. So to understand the story of Rahab, we're going to have to go way back in the Bible to Joshua chapter 2. So if you've got a physical Bible or an app, please turn there. That's where we'll be spending the rest of our time together. So just to kind of show you where we are in the story... Um, so, God created the world, everything goes wrong, he says to Abraham, I'm going um, to save the people through your seed, this nation is formed, um, they are enslaved under Egypt, Moses takes them, he brings them out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, they wander in the desert, Moses is dead, that's where we are now. So, um, Joshua has just taken over from Moses, and um, he's been um, assigned this task to lead the Israelites, and Um, Chapter 1 is really God speaking faith into Joshua and saying, you can do this, and then some administrative tasks he does. But chapter 2 is his first practical act as leader. What's he going to do? So he decides to send spies into the land, hoping they could give key information on the enemy, their strengths and weaknesses, as well as the lay of the land. Let's read what happened. So Joshua 2. Um, I'm going to have to turn around because I didn't actually print this out. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued, them, pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, who you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the man said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If, we, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards, go on your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window." So, um, as I was preparing, I just had a wonderful, geeky time reading about Jericho. And um, I don't know, if you're geeky, you'll probably enjoy a couple of the facts about that. Um, It's just really interesting. Jericho is the lowest city in the world, at 258 meters below sea level. It's also possibly the oldest continuously inhabited city in the world, and it's definitely the oldest walled city. The walls themselves are thought to date to at least 6,800 BC, meaning that these events happened 5,000 years after the walls were built. Nuts, eh? Um, This is also known as the city of palm trees. There are plentiful underground freshwater springs. The name means moon city, where they worship the god um, Yarek. Um, The people here were Canaanites. Now, this is a term for various peoples who lived throughout the biblical lands at the time. Their religious beliefs were pretty shocking. They um, sacrificed children quite regularly. There was widespread sexual immorality. And so God had judged them and said, you're no longer fit to live in the land. I'm going to kick you out. I'm going to bring this new people in. So this is also the first major city the Israelites came across in the promised land. So, Rahab. The author introduces us to the main character in the passage in verse 1. Now, it says that she was a prostitute. It's not 100% clear how the people of Jericho would have thought of her. Um, As I say, they were um, the religion there, um, there was a lot of sexual immorality around. So a prostitute, there was two words in Hebrew that are used for prostitute. One for a a kind of religious prostitute, kind of part of the religion. She wasn't one of those. She was um, kind of a normal prostitute. I don't know what the term would be. Um, But um, so it wasn't necessarily a religious thing that she was doing. But for Israel, commanded by God to be sexually pure, she would have been someone looked down on. She may not have seen much of a problem with it herself, being a prostitute, but it's unlikely she became a prostitute as her first choice in life. It's not the the kind of life that people choose for themselves, but tends to be the kind of life that happens to people. 
we can probably infer that she'd suffered a lot in her life and probably suffered a lot at the hands of men who'd mistreated her and used her for their own pleasure. There's a later reference to her father's house. So she wasn't living with her father. Now, in the ancient Near East, if you were a single woman, you would normally live with your father under his protection. So it's not, not entirely clear what had gone on there. Why, why had she left her father's house? Why had she entered into this life? So we can probably infer from all that that she wasn't a particularly happy person, but she's industrious. She... Um, she ran this um, brothel, but also they think that there was um, a guesthouse element to it as well, which is why the spies chose to stay there. She had to be independent and fend for herself. Later on, she hides the spies amongst the flax, and people use flax to make linen out of So she was a hard worker. And she was probably well-known in the city, because the, the spies arrive, and then the king says, oh, Rahab will know where they are. So she was obviously someone fairly well-known. So it says that the spies lodged with Rahab. Now, the author is very careful to say there was no sexual connotation there, um, and it's just that they were staying there as a guest. So, verses 2 and 3, the author starts to introduce the drama of the story. So these two guys, they've been commanded by godly leadership to go. Joshua says, guys, I want you to go. I want you to go and check out the land. And they say, great, okay, we're going to go. First, first thing happens, they are staying in this guest house and now they're in this very tricky situation. They've been found out, the king knows that they're there and he wants them. If Rahab had sent them out, they would almost certainly have been killed. So suddenly Rahab, this Canaanite prostitute, becomes the person who holds the key of life and death for these men. How will she respond? So, verses 4 to 7, amazingly, Rahab helps them. She hides them on the roof, and then she also tells this absolute whopper of a lie to the king, taking a huge risk for herself in the, in, at the time. If she'd been found out, she would have been a collaborator, a traitor. Something's happened in this lady. She's gone from being someone who is a Canaanite, a moon god worshipper, a prostitute, and said, I'm actually choosing to align myself with the God of Israel and the people of Israel. It's really strange, isn't it? Like she had no connection to them. It'd be like an English person in the Middle Ages deciding they were going to support France. It's just like, well, why? What, what was happened there? She's no longer serving the king of Jericho. Instead, she decides to serve the God of Israel. Now, she's crafty, this girl she is not daft. She admits they were there, because she knows they were seen coming in, but then says they're gone. And she sends the, the pursuers off in a different direction to buy time. So the author has crafted the story so that we ask the question, why? What has happened to this woman? So verses 8 to 11 give us the answer. She says, I know She's come to this dramatic realization. She's realized that her people will not be victorious in the upcoming battles. Israel is a superior force, and her people will soon be defeated. There's an interesting contrast the author puts in here. Earlier in, in the story, 12 spies were sent out by, um, by Moses, and they came back saying, these people are huge. We will never defeat them. 
but now one of their own recognizes that they are doomed. God's people can often look at situations which are tricky and then think there's no hope. We can look out and say, God could never work in that place. God could never save that person. God could never use me to tell someone about Jesus. Surely kings couldn't reach out into our community effectively. Surely the decline of the church in Scotland will continue. But people of faith see things differently. Rahab has had a dramatic experience changing the way she thinks. She sees a supreme God greater than all other powers. He decides what happens on the earth. He decides who will live where. He decides who will win a battle. He decides which nations will rule and fall. Amazingly, she also knows his name. She uses, when it's translated Lord in our translation, she's saying Yahweh. This is is a personal name which God gave to the Israelites. How did a Canaanite know the special name by which God revealed himself? Even if she'd heard the word before, maybe, you know, a traveler had mentioned something, oh, these guys worship Yahweh, you know, da da da. Um, but she uses his name with a familiar sense. She's met God. Something has happened in this lady. God has revealed himself to her already. She's somehow come to know the God of Israel for herself. Now, we don't know how this happened. Maybe God revealed himself to her. Maybe he spoke to her in a dream. Maybe he spoke into her heart. Maybe she heard travelers speaking of him and, and God just did something in her. But God's done something in, his, in her heart and she's open to him. Her heart is open to the Lord. We can often feel like these spies. We are here with the comfort of being with God's people, our family, and yet we're being sent out into a world which rejects God and has completely different values. We don't expect to meet people who've already met with God themselves. But God is working all the time in the hearts of people around us. Workmates, classmates, people we never would have thought of. God brings people who are far away to know him. When I was in first year of uni, I lived in East Newington Place. I don't know if anyone knows there, but there are uni flats. They are minging. Um, So if you ever have the chance to stay there, don't. Um, And um, so I was in a a flat. It was a self-catering one. There was me and four other guys. And um, I made friends with some people in some other flats. And there was a guy there um, who, um, I probably shouldn't tell you his name. Um, But anyway, there was a guy there. And you know just someone you meet, then you're like, you are so annoying. Um, So I met him. And then I was just like, oh, he just made all these horrible jokes. And he found out he was a Christian. He just said all this stuff about Jesus. I'm a friend. He got her one of the, you know those Jesus things that kind of sits and goes like this? He bought her one of these as like a mocking thing. And you're just like, this guy is so far from God. So I was, um, I, I was praying for people. I never even thought to pray for this guy. I never even thought I would pray for him. Um, but, um, but God did something. So my friend, um, Margaret, she said, you know, I think we should pray for this guy. And I was like, okay, if you want. Um, so, so we prayed for him. He got baptized a few years ago. He's now married. He's living in England. God worked in his heart. God saved him. God can do anything, any person, anyone. Who have you been praying for? Maybe there's someone you've been praying for for years. Maybe a family member, maybe a friend. Do you believe God can do it? Can God save them? Of course he can. Keep praying.
keep praying. Even for me, I grew up in a tiny, tiny village called Tweedsmuir, um, which if you know it, um, what a shame. No, no, it's fine. Um, it's quite nice. It's um, about an hour south of here towards Moffat. Um, <laughs> Basically, nothing ever happens there. Um, it's where all the reservoirs are, so whenever you, um, you know, fill up your kettle, just say thank you, Tweedsmuir, for that rain. Um, and um, I was brought my, by my mum to church um, in Peebles, um, and I heard about God there, but I had no Christian friends whatsoever. I never went in a Christian camp. I never went to New Day. I literally had no idea that other young people were Christians. I had no concept that that could be a thing. But God met me. I was in the middle of the hills in Scotland, and God, God just encountered me. He opened my eyes. I read his word, and I just saw amazing things there. Someone gave me Mere Christianity as a book, and I read it, and I was just like, flip, this is amazing. God, God is real. I committed myself to God as a messed up teenager, and he worked in me. So who do you think could never come to know God? Friends, family, leaders of our country? Imagine the spies meeting this pagan prostitute. So she comes up and she's like, so they're, so they're there and they're like, okay, cool, the king's trying to come and kill us. What are we going to do? And the prostitute says, come up on the roof. And they're like, well, we don't really have any other choice. She hides them under the flax and these guys must be like, we are literally dead. But then she comes up and she starts talking to them about Yahweh. And you can imagine these guys are being like, what? You're talking about Yahweh? What is going on? So... God can do anything. God wants to increase our faith that when, he, when we go, he's already at work. We've seen this in our West Lothian church plant as well. God has already been at work in the hearts of people out there. And God will continue to do this, but invites us to be involved. We really need to pray. We need to pray for God to be at work in people's hearts. Now, I'm saying this as someone who really has struggled in this area, so I'm not coming to you saying you're all naughty, but it's something which God is wanting to work in us, that we can pray for people, for family, for our friends, for our colleagues, and just ask him to start awakening their hearts. We do not know the power of our prayers, but God is powerful, and he can do great things. Secondly, don't be discouraged. It's easy to think that we're rubbish at telling people about God. This is one of the devil's favorite tricks. So what happens is you're a new Christian, you're quite enthusiastic, you tell some people, and then some stuff happens, which is great, and then later on you tell someone, and then they ask you a hard question you don't know how to answer, or you tell them you think you've done an okay job, and they say, well, I just don't believe it, or something happens, and you're like, you know what, I'm just not very good. And the devil goes, you know what, you're just not very good at this, you should leave this to other people. Clever, hey? Super clever. Um, But God doesn't work like that. It's really not about you, but it's about God. Ask him to lead you to people he's already been at work in. You'll find that it doesn't matter whether what you say is high quality or not. If you meet someone who God's been working in, they are ready. And you just have to say one tiny thing and they're like... So God can do amazing things. We can trust him. He can save anyone, the most rabid atheist, the least interested person, the craziest hedonist, the person who's rejected God many times before. Just tell people the truth about God. Just mention, oh, God did this for me, or I was at church and I learned this about God. Pray for people. Trust God for the rest. It's not in your hands. It's in his, but we can do our bit. So let's go on. Verses 12 to 14. Rahab offers her request to the spies. So Rahab has this faith that things are going to unfold in a certain way, and she plans accordingly. Um, I'll read this bit. Um, 
Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal, deal kindly with my father's house, father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Rahab asked the spies to show kindness to her. In Hebrew, she uses a particular word, chesed. She says to them, please show me chesed. So we're going to do a word study together. It's really exciting, guys. Let's geek out. Um, so it's a, different, it's a difficult word to translate into English. There's no direct equivalent for this. Often, these, um, these really cool guys back in the 1500s who were trying to translate the Bible into English, and they struggled with this, and they kind of came up with this word, loving kindness. But it basically means a sure love that will never let go. It's a mixture of love, which is committed, I'm going to love no matter what, with loyalty. So... She, it's, it says it's the way that two parties who are in a covenant together should relate to each other. A great example of this would be a good marriage. In a good marriage, a husband and wife commit to show each other chesed, this love and kindness over the long term. Come what may. I'm going to love you no matter what happens. I'm not going to give up when the going gets hard. It's rather saying, I've promised to love this person no matter what and I will do it no matter what. The really cool thing is, chesed is the word used frequently of the love of God for us. Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy, chesed, will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This goodness and chesed, this love which will never let go, this loyalty of God, will follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your mercy, according to your chesed. Have mercy on me, God, according to the promise you've made to love me forever. David wrote this psalm at the lowest point in his life when he had mucked up big time. And he said, God, remember that you've committed to me to love me no matter what happens. Psalm 136. It's an absolute belter of a psalm. Um, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His chesed is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods. His chesed is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His chesed is everlasting. To him alone who does great wonders, his chesed is everlasting. To him who by understanding made the heavens, his chesed is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, his chesed is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, his chesed is everlasting. To the sun to rule over the day, his chesed is everlasting. The moon and stars to rule over the earth, his chesed is everlasting. How cool is this? God has committed to love you. His love is not based on what you're doing, on how well you're doing as a Christian, on how much Bible you've studied this week, on how much prayer you've done, on how much serving you've done. It's based on his commitment to love you, and it's everlasting. This is just a small example of how God has communicated to us. God has committed to show this love to you. If you're a believer this morning, God has committed himself to show this love to you every single day of your life. He's tied himself down 
He's promised. He can't get out of this commitment. If you've trusted in him, this committed covenant love is for you. This love is intense. It knows you completely. It treasures you. It plans good for you. It's committed to follow you through your life, no matter what happens. Are you tired? His chesed is everlasting. Are you weary? His chesed is everlasting. Are you stressed? His chesed is everlasting. Are you not sure where your life's going? His chesed is everlasting. Are you tempted? His chesed is everlasting. Are you ready to give up? His chesed is everlasting. Are you thankful? His chesed is everlasting. Are you doubting? His chesed is everlasting. Let's just spend a moment just thinking about this. Every season of our lives, every up, every down, every victory, every failure, God's covenant love to you is everlasting. And this love can transform other people. When we experience this love for ourselves, this chesed for ourselves, we can show it to others. We can be different to those in the world. You know, a lot of people feel that they get treated like dirt. Do you know who gets treated like dirt? GP receptionists. I work, I'm a GP. They get so much abuse. You can go in and show them some chesed. It's transformative. Show people that you believe that they are made in the image of God, that they are worthy of your time, they're worthy of your attention. This is transformative. In our lives, we can be freed from sin. We're freed to live a new life, and this takes time, it takes years, but God works in us. He shows us his incredible love. Our faith increases. We can fight sin. We can fight injustice around us, and we can see God's power at work. So, verses 15 to 24. Um, Rahab then follows through on her promise. She helps the spies, the spies escape and advises them on how to hide. Now, they tell her to hang this scarlet cord from the window, and this is how her house will be identified. So when the Israelites come in, they'll see this house, they'll see the scarlet cord, like, okay, we don't, we're not going to attack that place. Now, the author's doing some really cool wordplay in Hebrew here, and the word he uses is tikra, which has a double meaning. So in these verses, so twice here, it means cord, and the other 32 times it's used in the Old Testament, it means hope. The author deliberately did this. He used this word with a double meaning. He could use the word for rope. He used it earlier on, but he chose not to. He chose to use this word. So the author couldn't have known about Jesus. Even the most skeptical scholars date this at least 600 years before Jesus' birth. But Rahab, in response to God's hope, will be, in response to God's love, will be saved by a scarlet hope. How cool is this? As are we. It's only by our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection that we can be saved. Jesus died so that people can be saved from their wrong actions. So people could give them into his, so God could bring them to be in his people. So God could show chesed, covenant, loyal love to his people. Through Jesus' blood, through his death and sacrifice, we get to be part of God's people. We are joined in to this Israel. We are joined in to this people of God who God loves and has committed to love forever. Rahab and her family had to take practical steps. They had to enter into the house. So Rahab, just imagine the situation. Rahab has to go to her parents. 
How was that conversation? They might not talk for years. Um, and then she, she has to say to them, guys, this is what's going to happen. The only way you're going to be saved is if you come into my house, and then we're going to get attacked, and then um, you'll be saved. So for these people, they had to do something practical if they were to believe her. If they were to actually show that they had faith, they had to do something practical. Rahab had to actually hang this cord from her window. If she hadn't done that, she wouldn't have been saved. Rahab couldn't just sing about God. She couldn't just say good things about him. She had to believe what he said, but then take practical action as well. She had to take practical steps to be saved from the day of judgment that was coming. The same is true for us today. If God's speaking to you, and you're aware of your sin and need for forgiveness, it's not enough to come to church. It's not enough to sing. It's not enough to join a small group. It's not enough to have Christian friends. You need to accept Jesus for yourself. This involves recognizing your sin, how you've acted in bad ways, confessing it to God, asking his forgiveness, asking for his help to live a new life. You're going to have a chance to do this later on. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I feel there's a few specific people who God's been speaking to this morning. So maybe, maybe God has been asking you, do you want to make the decision to become a Christian today? As we say, it's not enough to say the right things, to look right on the outside. You have to take practical steps as well. Why not this morning? Why not now? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Can I get everyone to stand up, please? Let's just have some time where we stand before God. So, why don't you just close your eyes and just be before God for a minute. We've got plenty of time and we can just enjoy the stillness of being in his presence. So forgiveness is in Jesus, but you have to enter into his salvation. It really doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Rahab was a prostitute in a God-hating country. She was saved. It says later on that she became one of Jesus' ancestors. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? One of Jesus' ancestors was this prostitute. God can save anyone who comes to him. Have to actively ask God. Like Rahab and her family, you need to recognize you need to be saved, that God has come to rescue you. Believe that Jesus died for you, that he rose on the third day. Ask him to forgive you for what you've done wrong. And ask him to give you his life to live in a new way, in his power. So I'm just going to say a prayer. And if you would like to pray along with me, just do so. You can do it quietly. You can do it in your heart. But just do it sincerely if you want to. No pressure. God, thank you so much for your love, which is everlasting. Thank you for showing me my need of salvation. Thank you that no bad act is too bad to separate me from you. And Lord, I ask you now for forgiveness. I I confess all my sins. You know how bad they are. But I stand before you and ask you for your forgiveness and your power to lead a new life. Please fill me with your spirit and help me to live in a way which pleases you. Amen. Um, If you prayed that, then 
please come and say to me at the end or let, let one of the prayer team at the top know. For other people, um, I think there's people here today who are Christians, but you're just feeling, you're feeling done, just totally worn out. Maybe, maybe you're facing illness. Maybe you're working and you're just not coping. Maybe you're a parent and you're really not sure how you can go on. Maybe you're a student and you're frazzled and thinking of quitting. God wants to remind you of his love this morning. He wants to remind you of this chesed. He loves you intensely. He will always love you. He will always pursue you. He will never let you go. He's committed himself to you. He will never go back on his word. Do you believe this? Do you trust what he says? Psalm 32 verse 10 says, The Lord's unfailing love, chesed, surrounds the one who trusts in him. (laughs) Chesed surrounds the one who trusts in him. Wow. Just soak it in for a second. God wants to give you refreshment, joy, and strength this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray now that you would fall, that you would fill your people, and let them be aware intensely, freshly, of the love of the Father for them. I pray that we would know your loyalty to us, Lord, how you've committed to never let us go, to walk with us every step every day, no matter what we go through. And Lord, we just pray for your joy, your refreshment, and your power to keep on living, believing this.